Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares. Here's what godliness is. It's contentment. Right? That's the great gain of being a Christian, is that you can be content where you're at in the station of life that you have, with the giftedness you have, with the position God calls you to. Doormat, passive, didn't say that. Ambition, sure there's ambition. Can you aspire to something in terms of doing great things for God? Absolutely, but it cannot be fueled by, by envy. When you think about it, envy is the enemy of contentment. We may have everything we need in life, but we won't be content with what we have as long as someone else has something that we want. Today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares helps us identify envy in our lives and charges us to recognize the hostility that envy brings into our relationships. I'm Dave Drury, and Pastor Mike is starting with a verse from Mark chapter 7, verse 21, as he continues a message called Envy, the Relational Damage. For from within, you can see the, the last two words, by the way, verse 20, defiles him. We're talking about things that defile him, and, and they're inside. For out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, look at these now, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality. Here's the next one, the, the topic of our little series, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within and they contaminate, they sully, they dirty, they defile, they mess up the heart that is supposed to be before God, holy and pure and right and righteous and good. So when there's roots growing in your heart of anything on that list, including envy, well then there's a defilement there. The word to kind of describe the life, and I know it has a lot of implications, that's, that's in sync with God, walking with God, right, impervious to, uh, to whatever might, uh, might disrupt that, we call that word contentment. We talk about that in scripture, contented. I'm okay. I can be okay with God. I have peace with God. So what I want to remind you of this morning is that the defiling work of envy is always going to disrupt that. It will displace that. Or how about a stronger word? Number one, if you're taking notes, it crushes that. Number one, you need to know that envy crushes contentment. And when we assess the damage that it causes, including that I'm going to be discontent if I don't get this out. Not only do I have a problem now relating to God, like Adam, I want to hide in the shadows when God or God's word or God's people come in my presence. I, I'm struggling now. There's a defiling contradiction within my heart. And, and it makes me feel not right. Well, it makes me feel not right on a couple levels because you're harboring sin. But worse than that, the whole point of envy is to make you discontent. And, and I would like my heart to be contented. I don't want it contaminated, soiled. I don't want it disrupted. The goal, by the way, is always for the godly to be content. Right? Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. I, I want to be content with what I have. Paul, Philippians 4. I've learned the secret of contentment, whether I have a lot or a little, I'm content. Now you gotta believe that. When you see godly people and you know there's no underlying turmoil, the roots are not rotten. The roots are not seeping into the neighbor's property. 
they're, they're, they know their proper bounds. They're enriched properly and not destroying. And envy always will destroy. You need to know that envy crushes contentment. And a lot of these vice lists can go back to the core sin of envy. Let me give you one in Titus chapter 3, verse 3. It's next to the second point here on your outline. It's the opposite of peace. It's the opposite of contentment. It's the opposite of joy. Right? It's filled with this bitterness and this frustration and this, this angst and this friction. Titus chapter 3, verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy. Those go together. Right? Malice is, is, is how I'm feeling, and envy is the driving force of it all. And the end result is hostilities, right? Hated by others and hating one another. Jot this down. Number two, we need to see the hostilities envy brings. We need to see the hostilities that envy brings. Once you write that down, go with me to James chapter 4. I warned you there's plenty of passages here this weekend. James chapter 4. James chapter 4 does a good thing for us in telling us, now, I want you to think backwards when the thing erupts in your life that you know is not good, you don't feel good about it, your blood pressure rises, you start to get a little warm under the collar, you go home thinking, well, that didn't go well, you tell your wife, why? Right? James says, I want you to analyze it. I want you to take a look and do a diagnostic on what just happened. Right? You left that small group, didn't go well, got heated. He's saying, think about it. Go backwards. Don't say, well, I really need to bite my lip harder next time. James chapter 4, verse 1, are you there? What causes quarrels? What's the root of it? What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Look at that now. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? That's just such a helpful concept right there. It's not just, I really have an anger problem, right? And anger is not a problem, it's a symptom. You understand that? Anger is a symptom of something else. And what we need to find out is why do you have this underlying hostility? Why is it that you were, as a non-Christian, always hating and being hated, and now as a Christian, it, you know, we, we've tried to change all that, and it, it's different now, and I'm on a pathway of sanctification, but it still erupts every now and then. Why is this? Why am I having these conflicts? What causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. Which, by the way, that's the whole idea of envy. Envy is this thing like Cain, who hated his brother, and John says, why did he hate his brother? Well, he hated his brother because he saw that there was a deficiency. He had an inferiority complex. Think this through, right? I'm not him. He got accepted. He got favor. What did I, how did I define envy last time? I, I said it was this, this resentment because of comparative blessings or opportunities. There's favor there that he has that I don't have. And God comes on the scene, what does he say to Cain? Just to chill out, man, between you and I. You do well and things will be okay. And he couldn't. He had to keep his brother in view, even though he claimed later, not his brother's keeper. Man, you couldn't get your eye off of your brother. That's what envy is, NVIDIA, right? They put my eye on him. You're looking at your brother. You can't get your eyes off. You resent your brother because of an advantage or an opportunity that he has that you don't have. Why, do you, why, why did Cain kill his brother? Well, you got to look past the violence back to the, the, the driving force. And the driving force is, is envy. I resent you because you got something I don't have, something that I want. And I don't like that you have it. 
Now, if we both walked away, think about it. If we both walked away without the favor of God, at least they'd go, oh, yeah, God's kind of hard to please. Or if mom says, hey, sir, can you sit by the window? And my two kids, they're not going to, they're not, neither of them are going to get the window. Guess what? They probably are going to punch each other. Well, kids find ways to figure out why to punch each other. But they're not going to punch each other because one has the window and the other doesn't. They're going to be like, they both lost. It's the relative distinction between the two. That's the problem. You desire and do not have. I didn't get what I wanted, and someone else did, and that's why I lash out at them. You covet, you want something. That's the problem, covetousness. You can't obtain it, so you fight and quarrel. And sometimes it's just the attainment of it looks like he's winning the argument and I'm not. It looks like everyone thinks that he's right and I'm wrong. I don't like that they, he's won the approval of the small group and I haven't. I don't like that he's been appointed or she's been taken this position or she gets the attention of that guy or whatever it might be. I don't like it, so I'm going to fight, I'm going to quarrel because I'd like to have it. Well, you do not have because you don't ask. Mom, can I sit by the window seat? Well, you ask and you don't receive because you're asking wrongly, because envy is still driving it. Even your prayer life, even your religious life, your Christian life, your, your service, going through partners, or taking someone through partners, or teaching a Sunday school class, or leading, or going on a, on a youth retreat as a leader, all of it can be driven by your own envious passions. You ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. But the world, by the way, according to Titus 3.3 is all about, you adulterous people. You bound yourself to me, I gave you a new heart, don't you know that friendship with the world, I mean, you're acting like the world, is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God because the world's all about it. It's about the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life. It's about spending everything on your own path. It's about you getting yours and making sure that you're content with what you have. And it's great when I can be the best and win the awards. And in a day, we've trained our children that everyone gets a participation trophy. Think this through now. We don't even want them to live without anything. Well, we want everyone to have recognition. We don't let the kids keep score when they're playing baseball. What, what are we, crazy? Have we lost our minds? What are you doing? Because, oh, I don't want Junior to think that he's not, he's not special. Well, Junior isn't special compared to the guy, other guy because he's better than your kid. I mean, you've got to get to a place at some point where you recognize the relative distinctions. And we'll drive this home when we get to the counterattack. We have to understand that. But we cannot just go along with the rest of the world. Now, here's a passage, and I've struggled with this construction, and I think every, every New Testament is going to have some kind of a marginal note. One of the, the most difficult Greek constructions in the New Testament, verse 5. So, do you suppose it is of no pur purpose that the Scripture says? Now, here's how the ESV translates it. He yearns jealously over the Spirit that he's made to dwell in us. That's a difficult text. Just Pull up any translation and you're going to see people go in different directions with it. Even the, the King James back in the day, it, it just literally takes this wooden sentence and translates it this way. The spirit who dwells in us yearns to envy, right? which may be the right, might be the right translation. Matter of fact, I even gave you a little preview of this when I said all the usages of the word envy in the New Testament are always negative. Jealousy, positive and negative. Envy, negative. There's no good redeeming value for the word envy. And I said, well, with the exception of possibly James chapter 4. Well, it could be that maybe consistently we'd say, well, envy isn't a good word. And if it's not a good word, the only way you could translate this is the spirit, small s, that he's made to dwell in us, it envies. It, it maybe even the way it's put here. 
It's not that he, subject God, yearns jealously, but the spirit that he's put in us yearns jealously. That we are envious, and it tends to envy, and it, it, it wants to envy, and it desires to envy. And that's the problem. That's why we as Christians, we start acting like the world. But God gives more grace, right? He can help us through this. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. So submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. You've got to cleanse your hands, you sinners. All of this, I think, in the context certainly has the idea, not just God wants you, but you want stuff that you can't rightly attain or can't justly figure out how to attain or it's not righteously yours, but you got someone else that has it and you're jealous over them. You are envious of them and become resentful of them. And if it were a little sister, you'd punch him, punch her, right? That, that, that is the idea of the kinds of, of struggling that this passage starts with. You need to analyze the problems, quarreling, fighting, look underneath the surface. One more passage, 1 Timothy chapter 6. I say one more, that just means the next passage. 1 Timothy chapter 6. The hostility that envy brings, it always brings conflict. And there's lots of words that surround the expressions of, of envy, and there's a bunch of them in this text. And I think they all come back to this, this foundational sin of envy. To get some context, verse 3, 1 Timothy chapter 6, we'll look at verse 3 to, uh, let's go to 10 if we have time. If anyone teaches a different doctrine, different form of teaching, different kind of, of, of teaching, it's not biblical, that doesn't agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, well, then he's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. Not very diplomatic there, but certainly truthful. That's it. You're just, you're, you're, you're whacked in your brain. You think you're something when you're nothing. You're preaching stuff that doesn't accord with scripture, with what Christ said. But here he gets to the heart of it. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce, and they also, I would argue, they're also foundationally driven by envy. They produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. Imagining, hey, godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into the world. We can't take anything out of the world. Man, if you were just had enough to eat today and a place to sleep with food and covering, with these we'll be content. The Christian life and the copacetic, harmonious relationship that we should have with God and with our own hearts is one of contentment. Problem is we envy, we pridefully covet. And in that, it creates all these things, quarrels, controversy, dissension, slander, suspicions. Think about some of you, you look at other people with a great sense of distrust and it's only because they have stuff that you don't have. They have advantages you don't have. They have gifts you don't have. They have opportunities you don't have. They have a family you don't have. They have relationships you don't have. And you look at them askew, as I said last week. You look at them out of the edge of your eye. You don't, you don't like it. You, you are going to even have this eruption of, of anger toward them. Saul, right? David's killed his 10,000. Saul, you've killed your 1,000, and that's cool. But David is 10,000. He was so angry over that. He kept his eye on David, that evil suspicion. And then when the evil spirit came upon him and took him to the next level, he erupted with anger, took his spear out, and tried to pin David against the wall. We read that passage last week. And that is the outburst of anger that, that James would say, stop and look at what's going on here. 
Now, here's the deal. You think that your relationship, Saul, with God is somehow going to give you stuff that you want, and that means there'll be no one greater in the kingdom than you. No, David is greater than you, at least in how many people he's killing. He's a better warrior, better military strategist. He's just a kid, but he's better than you. And you can't handle that because you think, if I'm right with God, I get what I want. And see, so many people, by the way, are pitching a kind of gospel and evangelicalism that says, come to Christ, he'll give you what you want. It's a genie in a bottle, and you pray to God, and you can have the family that you covet. You can have the job that you envy the other person has. And all I'm saying is that's not, that's not it. Here's, here's what godliness is. It's contentment. Right? That's the great gain of being a Christian, is that you can be content where you're at in the station of life that you have, with the giftedness you have, with the position God calls you to. Doormat, passive, didn't say that. Ambition, sure there's ambition. Can you aspire to something in terms of doing great things for God? Absolutely. But it cannot be fueled by, by envy. We have to distinguish what's driving this. And I'll show you next time. We get that counterattack going. You'll see how we can carefully distinguish the two. But all I'm trying to do today is say, what kind of damage is caused? Well, think about things that to you just seem like, why, why am I so hostile toward that person? Why don't I like that person? And you've said it in your own heart. If you haven't said it to your spouse or your best friends, I just don't like that person. Why don't you like that person? Why is there constant friction? Why do you find yourself quarreling? Why do you find yourself in controversy? Why is that, that, there that evil suspicion and slander? The word for slander in this passage, by the word, is the word blasphema. Right? We get the word blasphemy, obviously, from that word. Blasphemy, we were in the book of Luke years ago, and we were looking at the passage about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. They were really blaspheming Christ. I taught you how to think about that word. Blasphemy, I said, it just is taking something that's up here and acting and talking and commentating on it as though it's down here. Right? Slander is a good word for us when, it's, when we think about, about each other. But the reason they don't translate this straight across like they do in other passages by transliterating it, blasphemy, is because we would think, I don't understand. Right? What are they, a god? Right? That I have to blaspheme? Here's the point. Yeah, God is in a category by himself. And when you start saying Jesus doing miracles is doing them by, by Beelzebub, you, you clearly are you're blaspheming. You're attributing to, to Jesus stuff down here when really he's up here. Well, it's the same thing with individuals. They're a whole different category. But the guy that you would praise for the things that he does if he were your son right, is not the way you praise him or think of him. You speak of him down here. You always find the, the negative things. You look with evil suspicion and you're always trying to find the negatives about her, the negatives about that family, the negatives about that church, the negatives about that aspect or that, that, that sub-congregation of the church. Wherever the rivalries are, I'm gonna, I'm gonna think less of them. That's a blasphemy. And by the way, th there's another word, right? This conceit, swollen conceit, that really is on the same spectrum. There are people, for instance, in 1 Corinthians chapter three, that are all about Apollos and Paul and Cephas. Do you remember that passage? And what were they doing here? They weren't taking the other guy necessarily and blaspheming them, speaking less of them. I don't think they were going around slandering, you know, Peter. There might've been a little bit of that, but what they were doing is they were flattering their favorite leader. They were pumping up their team. It's like high schools that are having their pep rallies on Friday, talking with superlative terms about their high school you know, quarterback or their team. Well, they're not that good. Stop, right? Well, why are you speaking in such grandiose terms about your football team? 
Did you see their record from last year? They're not that good. No, but they're great on Fridays because the cheerleaders and the pep band and everybody's out there saying they're great, they're great, they're great. And we're exalting our group so we can look at your team and your high school and you guys are losers. The, the, ideal of, the idea of rivalry in the church is sometimes about flattering the people that I think will make me a part of the winning team. You just need to see all that's driven by envy. The envy in the church of Corinth was causing divisions, the chasm between groups of people, the chasms between relationships, the people you used to be friends with that you're not friends with anymore is often driven by envy. And sometimes it means you speaking less of those guys and that group or that team or that wife, right? And sometimes it's about you exalting your family and your kids and your church and your group. And all of that just trying to make this distinction. And that distinction is driven and fueled by envy. We've got to identify the problem, blasphemy. Gossip, by the way, is blasphemy. Did you know that? At Proverbs chapter 20, verse 19, it's a Hebrew equivalent, but whoever goes around slandering reveals secrets. Therefore, don't associate you know, with the gossip, or as it's put in the ESV, the, the, the simple babbler. It just rolls off their tongue. They're going to whisper and babble about people. Right? So the gossip is slandering. And they're trying to reveal secrets. So here's something I wouldn't say to you about my kids if I were telling you about my kids. Because I, I like my kids and it's good. And so I say good things, but you say bad things if you don't like them. And you want to tell other people the bad things because you want to tear them down. But really what's driving that is that you're envious. They have stuff, advantages. They have gifts you don't have. Envy is driving the divisions. Envy is driving the gossip. Envy is driving the slander. Envy is causing the friction. Envy is causing your attitude. Envy is causing the look on your face when someone announces that they're having a baby or that they're going to Jamaica for their vacation or whatever. It's driving what you feel because you are envious and you haven't, you haven't cut the roots out. Well, the gain in this passage, as we really should have looked at if we had more time in the first point, is contentment. It's contentment. And contentment is what we don't have enough of. And it's not passivity. I all, I want to work hard. I want to be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord to quote 1 Timothy chapter 15, verse 58. I want to do that. But it's with the right motive, which means that I am not someone driven by and fueled by envy. You're listening to Focal Point and a message called Envy, the Relational Damage from Pastor Mike Fabares. We'll hear more from Mike on this important topic in just a moment, so stay with us. If you value the teaching here on Focal Point, then I invite you to become part of the team that ensures that this program continues to make an impact in your community and around the world. Join the growing group of Focal Point partners who support this program by making a regular monthly financial donation. And when you sign up today, you can request to automatically receive all of our monthly resources, including a copy of Pastor Mike's brand new book titled Envy, A Big Problem You Didn't Know You Had. We're excited to get this excellent study into your hand. So please sign up to become a Focal Point Partner today by calling us at 888-320-5885 or by going to focalpointradio.org. And now here's Pastor Mike to tell you more about his latest book. Yeah, Dave, it's called Envy, A Big Problem You Didn't Know You Had. 
You know, we're quick to point out the obvious sin around us, but we're less likely to identify or even notice the subtle, widespread sin that's lurking just inside, this sin called envy. But if we let this sin go unchecked, there's going to be some serious internal, relational, and even societal costs. So there's a good chance you're already suffering from some effects and consequences of this sin. So I hope you will get a copy of my new book, called Envy, a big problem you didn't know you had. We're going to explore the causes and the consequences of envy, and I'll offer biblical hope and practical guidance to help you live with satisfaction and contentment. Thanks, Pastor Mike. You can get a copy of Pastor Mike's latest book, Envy, delivered right to you right away when you make a generous donation to Focal Point by calling 888-320-5885 or by going online to focalpointradio.org. We'll send you Pastor Mike's latest book as our way of saying thanks for your support. Again, that's focalpointradio.org. Well, I'm Dave Drewy, hoping you'll join us tomorrow to hear the conclusion of Pastor Mike's powerful message, Envy, the Relational Damage. That's coming up Tuesday on Focal Point. Pastor Mike here. You know, we live in a culture where every point of view demands affirmation. It'd be easy to tell people what they want to hear. But we must teach the Bible accurately, unapologetically, and without compromising and without editing it. God's word is truth. If you want to send me a question, I encourage you to get in touch with us at focalpointradio.org. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.